Hello and welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show. We're now in season two of the 100 Mass Men series where I anonymously interview different men from all around the world about what masculinity means to them in the modern world today. This week, we talk about self-identity. In the last interview, we spoke about the ideas we create in our heads about who we think we are and what we think we deserve. Let's challenge that. Masked man number 46 is the redefined man. As a man that you might consider the generic masculine man that followed all the typical tropes, being in the military, in sports, having a lot of aggression, and in that process, redefining what masculinity means to him. A really cool thing I learned about is how we avoid being completely seen, you know, back into our concept of wearing masks. And there's this thing of also wanting to be seen, but we're afraid of the judgment that comes with it. So let's get into it. I really hope you enjoy the show. I mean, I'm still training like part-time, half-time. So I train like, uh, let's say maybe like 10 to 15 hours a week. And then I do another five to 10 hours of coaching a week on top of like 10 to 20 hours of clubhouse a week. So it's been quite the experience for sure, but it's been really, really cool kind of seeing it all kind of unfold because they're all kind of blending into one now. So it's been really interesting to see kind of how everything's been evolving over time. Okay, cool. Were pre- was it like pretty separate, the types of training versus coaching versus clubhousing? Yeah. I mean, it's always been like kind of like mobility, movement, function, pain management type stuff. But now, now I'm working a lot with like the mental space, the emotional space, and then that's kind of transitioning and all of it's kind of coming together with clubhouse. So it's starting to all like blend through for what most would probably see like it's it's me repositioning myself and my brand as like an authority in certain ways. So kind of bringing in a more integrated and optimized model to bring everything back into alignment, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically, energetically, and spiritually are really the five pillars I work with. Very cool. I love how like everything kind of just like synchronizes, you know, once you know that you're actually on the right path and you're just like, it's kind of like a downward hill just increases Mm -hmm. in speed, right? Versus like the uphill battle of like struggling through when you don't know, you know, where you're going. Right. The momentum. Mm -hmm. So I've had an interesting couple of days. Yeah. How'd it go? (laughs) So I had this one interview with this guy and like, it's really funny because I do these interviews with men to talk about men interacting with women. Mm -hmm. And this guy decides like after the meeting to to try and kiss me and it's kind of like (laughs) and you know what it's really funny because this is the first time I actually did an in-person meeting in Tulum Mm -hmm. I was like you know what let's save up on my data let's like stop doing all these like (laughs) let's stop searching for wi-fi like this is a struggle for me so maybe it would be community building here if I try this out and that's the first time and this is what happens and I was just like you know what it makes me question if if I actually did in-person interviews, how many times would that actually ha- try to happen? It's just because it's been virtual that that opportunity actually hasn't been available for basically all of the guys, uh, except for that one. Wow. That's fascinating. <laughs> oh gosh. Isn't that crazy? Can't believe someone would try to do that right after. <laughs> but like take into oh. the irony of like the conversation that we're having, right? It's about like men. Right. Um, emotions and being vulnerable and like being able to express themselves few, like freely and 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 being in a safe space to do so and then you just immediately make that unsafe now and now like I feel uncomfortable in my own space Oof. oh sorry to experience that <laughs> yeah but this is the funniest it's not even over yet like what's funnier is that I just decided you know what I'm not going to post this guy's interview you know, don't know him anything. Mm. So I'm just not going to do this. And I'm going to like, you know, I deliberately say that I'm not going to do this because it's my show. Um, right. So I did that. And I was like, guys, this is the, the show you're never going to hear or the episode you're never going to hear. And then from there, I get a bunch of people copping out. Like, really? Yeah. Dropping out now. So I thought it's really funny. It's like, okay, here I am trying to give a safe space to everyone else to express themselves. I'm like, I'll say the first half of the series, it's been me trying to understand, trying to listen, but then also it's kind of like, you know, what you give, you also receive. Right. You should, I guess. Uh, so here I am kind of like expressing like, this is, this is like the play by play what happened. And it's not like, um, 
I'm here like putting this guy on blast. I could totally unmask him and like make it a whole situation. So I'm just saying that I'm like deliberately not going to publish this content because it's inauthentic now. And yeah. instead of like people continuing to be like, oh, cool. Like now we understand these things happen. Instead of acknowledging it, it's kind of like, okay, well, we're just going to like stay far away from that show. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's actually really crazy. I don't understand really. It's it's actually pretty fascinating to kind of see like how this actually all plays out because mm-hmm. like you would think that you would think at least that people wouldn't do that right after having these conversations and then I mean I guess it's just kind of presenting you an opportunity to kind of practice discernment but also exercising boundaries even if even if the boundaries are after the fact you know what I mean like mm-hmm. how do you how do you kind of like when things may have been presented you know in a way that may have been received by someone else differently like um you know, where, where was the boundary? Where did it have like missing elements? You know what I mean? Or like, what was really like provoking that type of behavior? Not saying you were, but saying, you know, to mitigate anything in the future, it's kind of like, okay, well, can I energetically set something in place now? So that way this, this, these things don't start to flow in, you know, unconsciously, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I wish that I was able to have that conversation I was just too much in like defense mode or just like mm-hmm. sh- sheer shock mode that I was just like, I don't know what to do now. And then just kind of like waited for him to decide what he wanted to do with the situation and how to rectify. And, and just like feeling that powerlessness in, right. in myself, I was kind of like, Oh shit, like crap, I'm going to have to feel like this for a while again, you know, and, and re-remember all of that. And um, I think it was interesting because it takes a lot for me to, not commit to something you know like if i if i created this content like it's taking a lot for me to say i'm not going to create this content whereas Mm -hmm. on the other side like i've had guys like just ghost me on the spot or mid mid interview like i don't want to anymore you know and as soon as they feel like you know what this this doesn't suit my vibe anymore i'm out whereas i think women kind of like stick it out for a while Hmm. like too long and it's just kind of interesting what would you say in terms of that like why I mean, I just think it's the privilege of being a man, you know, like having that access to say no, you know, and commit to it. Well, it's different when it's in a fleeting way. You know, if they are fleeting it, it's not so much them fleeting the conversation or fleeting you. They're simply fleeting themselves because, you know, the question asked in those moments subconsciously is what I've found very common is who am I afraid to be seen as or what image am I trying to present that may not be fully seen or what image am I presenting in which someone might receive and I might actually be judged in the process, right? It kind of goes back to that thing we were talking about when you were on the beach and some guy was trying to have a conversation with you and he, he responded very aggressively, mm-hmm. you know, but he never made eye contact. So therefore, you know, who was he being afraid of truly being seen as, right? Or is he asking himself the question, what if someone actually sees me? What if actually, what if somebody actually receives what I'm saying? And you know, especially in podcasts and conversations and whatnot, you know, I think the question might be as well, is my message good enough for the masses? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's that doubt, it's that question and that like deep rooted unworthiness of even being able to share or present their, their words and how that might be interpreted. Maybe they're so used to people seeing them in person that their voice actually develops this type of insecurity where they feel as though their voice isn't as good as their looks, right? It could be a number of things. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. Like just for, I don't know, a multitude of other reasons. I've had a lot of guys say no, saying that like they're really good with uh, written, but audio or like thinking on their feet or, you know, just kind of a conversational thing they might feel really uncomfortable with. And like you said, that could be, you know, some kind of insecurity from somewhere else, but also just like depending on which profession they're in, they may be more or less comfortable about talking about just personal opinions which is kind of weird because you would assume that people are more okay with talking about personal opinion than they are about like a political topic or something else that's uh, a little bit more specific to our society so I thought that was really weird and I started to get a lot more people saying no because I think now that the show is pretty consistent and has you know basically 50 episodes at this point that um there there's more to compare with 
Whereas before I got everyone saying yes, because there was nothing to compare with, like maybe the show might die. You know, there was, there's no, like, there's no heat to it. And I think there is now. Yeah, that could be it too. (laughs) So what was your life like growing up in the traditional concept of masculinity and what does masculinity mean to you now? Mm, Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I grew up where masculinity in itself wasn't defined. I think, you know, not only for myself, but a lot of the men that I observed growing up, the best representation of what a man was, was my father. And I was shown at a very young age that men and masculinity is aggressive. It is loud. It is controlling. It is provoking. It is manipulative and it is deceiving all in efforts to conceal or hide the truth of who I am or what is it that I do when nobody's looking. And, you know, growing up, you know, having that as an example, and then even being involved in mixed martial arts since the age of five, you know, I was, I was taught very young to stop crying and to endure the pain. And even as, you know, my Sifa would slap me with a kendo stick, be like, why are you crying? Like, stop crying. Don't be a babbling brook. You know, and it was taught at a very young age that I wasn't safe to express myself. I wasn't safe to have emotions or to cry or anything else. And that carried on for several, several years, even getting bullied in school and going into high school sports and having those coaches also influencing me, as well as being afraid of the judgment of the other players, having to feel like I had to uphold an image and put on a mask every time I put on a helmet or putting on a certain type of face when I put on a singlet and get on the mat. And then also being taught then that people would tell me, well, wrestling's gay. You have to wear a singlet and wrestle around with other men who would do that. So it was also conditioned that men touching other men wasn't okay. You know, even if there was an intent behind it, whether it be for sport or for love or anything, and I didn't have a lot of affection that I was able to show and or receive, which has always been contributing to my ability to reciprocate and receive love, not even knowing what love was and love equating to chaos for the majority of my life. And that carried forward even further into the military and then into bodybuilding and powerlifting and the fitness community as a, as a health and wellness coach, as a movement specialist and you know, I've seen the ins and outs of it. And it wasn't until earlier last year of 2020, where I was exposed to what, what I would say masculinity should look like. And I've had a lot of different influences on this, whether it be through participating and facilitating with groups and organizations such as Sacred Sons and the Modern Renaissance Man Brotherhood and having mentors like, like Stefano Safandos and, and my good friend, Obear, and I'm just giving some shout outs because these people and these groups and organizations deserve to be recognized because without them, I wouldn't know what that looks like. And, you know, masculinity, how I view it in my perception and my opinion of how it should look today is a balance of the two. When to harness these tools and how to use anger as a constructive method rather than a deconstructive method and how to channel that through expression, whether that be through movement or voice or art or dance or anything of that nature, but also to be received by other men to, without fearing that judgment, without fearing the ridicule for whatever may be presented in those moments. But, you know, what I was able to receive and see through these organizations is men holding other men through their pain, not exacerbating it, not shaming it, not pushing it away, not telling them how they should feel, but allowing, honoring, accepting, celebrating, and witnessing everything that they are in those moments of weakness, those moments where we may feel weak, those moments where we may feel, you know, as though nobody gets us or understands us or nobody feels the pain that we're experiencing. And I say those moments of weakness from a personal perspective, because in those moments I have been conditioned to feel weak, you know, vulnerability was not something I was taught. So I had to learn that vulnerability in its truest, rawest state is powerful. It is strength. And it's been a long time me having to redefine that. So, you know, what masculinity to me is simply the energy in which we can carry which is an energy, right? It's not being a man or a woman or a trans or anything of that nature, because that's looking at it from a place of duality, which doesn't have a lot of room in the middle for calibration or polarity to come in and and do its job. So masculinity 
is truly the energy in which we can carry that when we flip it on its back, it can receive just as openly as the feminine. It's something, it's an energy, it's an essence, an ether that exists within each and every one of us that can be harnessed and transmuted in a way that serves its purpose when we need that masculine energy to do or to give or to provide or to protect those are the, the those are the energies and the ways that the masculine can be expressed but the masculine is nothing without its duality without its feminine so bringing into balance bringing into alignment bringing into embodiment is going to be a unique individual experience for each and every person but you know that relationship with the masculine should be evenly balanced it should be evenly spaced it should be evenly accepted and mirrored to the feminine aspect within each and every one of us as well yeah i think i think that's so interesting um i've i've recently been hearing a lot more about that masculine feminine energy versus the gender constructs of masculine and feminine that we get in society and the differences of that duality which is one is more performative versus another one is a little bit more internal. And like you said, it's more human. It's more interactive. It's more emotionally dri- uh, driven than than kind of the rational performative aspects of actual characteristics or material aspects of, of people and actions and behaviors, right? So I think it's interesting when I've been hearing a lot more about men's groups and the work that, that happens in those spaces and there is this discomfort with talking about self-love. There's a lot of um, self-journey, personal growth, you know, all about like understanding yourself through isolation or through peer conversations, or, you know, it, it's more of a, a rational learning thing. And again, I think this is a very masculine direction to go of, of that journey. But if you look at self-love or self-care, I would say, society has made that a very feminine driven thing as in, you know, taking bubble baths or treating yourself or whatever those concepts are. So what would self-love look like for you in being, you know, physically or at least aesthetically, visually, what people would consider a masculine man and working in these spaces, how would you encourage a more neutral version of self-love and self-care? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think I'll segue that with what you'd said about, you know, how women show self-love, whether it's taking a bubble bath or anything like that. And I think that's part of it, right? As a society, we've been taught how to love ourselves from a, from a man's point of view and from a woman's point of view, but we're not really addressing the fact that, you know, we can love ourselves in an infinite amount of ways. And to bring it back into a neutral perspective, I think instead of looking at things as in a way for man to treat himself and woman to treat herself, it should be a place of how do we treat ourselves? You know, taking the I and the me and the you out of it and becoming we, becoming our, becoming a collective understanding that happiness and self-love is a universal concept. And it, again, kind of points back to the individual aspect of what in this moment will truly make me happy. And how do I pursue that? How do I bring awareness to how I feel now? Where can I set a vision? And how do I want to feel then? What energy and what power is required to go there or get there? And how do I want to feel during the process? And then taking action, but also observing and checking in with it along the way and honoring each and every part of it, honoring each and everything that we need in that moment without this level of shame or without this level of expectation that we've been conditioned to experience, you know, because, you know, society has told us that men take care of themselves by doing what? Going to the bar, drinking a beer, watching the game, this is that and the third, Saturdays for the boys. And women have been conditioned to say, you know, I'm going to the spa and I'm getting my nails done and I'm taking a bubble bath and all these things, which, you know, when we look at these things, they're just things. They're just things that anyone can do no matter what. When I walk into a nail salon, nobody's telling me that I can't come in because I'm a man. Nobody's telling me that women are placed first because this is a woman's thing to do and I need to stand in the back, right? There's no segregation when it comes to these things. And I think there's a lot of self-judgment. There's a lot of self-shame around the things in which we need, because we were taught 
not to want those things because they weren't aligned with our gender. So when we take the gender out of it and we simply come into a place of willingness and neutrality and acceptance and surrender of anything and everything we need in the moment and honoring it, then that's where we can come to a place in which we can actually love ourselves. And that's the catalyst is it's knowing what do I want in the moment? Where am I now? How do I get there? And just doing anything that you can, anything that you want, you know, and being unapologetically honest with what you want in that moment. If I want a beer, I want a beer. If I want to do my nails, I want to do my nails. If I want my daughter to paint my toenails and that's going to make me feel loved and so be it. It doesn't truly matter if you're a man or if you're a woman or what you're doing, if it's making you happy. So many people in this world are pursuing jobs and employment and certain things for, for things that don't fulfill them, for things that don't make them feel love in their heart every single day. They wake up miserable because they want to make more money, but money does not equate to happiness. These things in which we have been taught to, 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 to give us certain aspects of fulfillment aren't cutting it. So if we could take a step back and look at what is it in this life that I truly want and how can I live and walk with love every step of the way, that is how we can learn to love ourselves. When we pursue everything in our life with a place of compassion, with a place of acceptance, with a place of honor to therefore honor ourselves in the journey that we're on. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's it's very, I guess, capitalist of us to think like, you know, whether something that we do is on brand or not, and whether or not we are going to personally associate our personal brand with our gender and the gender expectations of that, you know? So it's kind of like, oh, that would be off brand if I was going to do this thing that doesn't match what my apparent core values look like to the rest of the public world. And I think if you look at it in that sense, I mean, I'm taking it from a very business-led sense, but I think that's how people are presenting themselves almost in a business way. Like, taken off a shelf. Like this is what I represent. And if I go off of that track, who am I now? So what would you say to people that are like, Hey, you know what? I am interested in doing these other things. I don't know how to go into that direction because I don't know if I'd ever get the support. I don't know if that's, you know, very off brand of me. How, how do you get that courage to be like, you know, let me try it. How do you get people to even understand the concept of what happiness is? Because we're so focused on success, achievement, on validation from all of those external forces. Yeah. And I like what you said about, you know, how do we align ourselves with different brands? And, you know, I'm just going to speak on this just from an entrepreneurial perspective. You know, it's not so much if the brand supports men or if it supports women, it's does it support the mission? Does it support the vision? Does it support the benefit of the collective? Right. Because I think we also operate from this place where you know, and I say we, because, you know, I've, I've certainly done it. And I certainly still do it at certain times, but I have a level of awareness to where I can catch myself, but I'm pursuing something in efforts of I, what can I get out of this? Right. And as humans, I think we're instinctually conditioned that way, not so much societally, but instinctually conditioning ourselves to a place where, what can I achieve from this? And it's a very deep subconscious pattern because at the end of the day, even if we're doing things that are malicious, we always have some type of positive extent or intent, I should say. You know, we don't just start smoking just to start smoking. A lot of the times we start smoking because we're with a group of individuals and we're seeking connection and cigarettes are simply the way to get there. And that's just an example. That's actually how I got addicted to smoking, you know, and that's, that's something that I've, I've come to realize now is, is what I'm doing aligned for the, for the collective, for the aspect of we, you know, does one plus one equal three or does one plus one simply equal two where what I'm doing will only benefit me and you, you know? And I think once we can start operating from a place of unified consciousness rather than duality consciousness and efforts of the collective versus this, you know, this uh, co-contribution to one to another, but one to all, I think that's how we can start aligning ourselves and our brands with collective efforts. And that's what's going to bring unity. That's what's going to bring equity to not only man, woman, trans, by anything that's out there, but also between black, white, anything of that nature as well. You know, I think there's so much division and inequity currently in our system and in the world that if we start operating from a place of we and three, then that's where we can start not only having loves for ourselves and other people, 
but the collective, even if we don't have them into our, in our conscious awareness, even if we don't see them on a daily basis, even if we haven't even interacted with them, even if they haven't seen us on social media, that energy is being ex exemplified to the collective unconscious and the conscious, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love that. I love the, the idea of all instead of just we. Because if you think of just we, it's only me and you. Like what I know about myself and what I know about the people around me, which is a pretty small circuit in comparison to all. And it's it's interesting because I think the pandemic kind of brought us all together in that concept of everyone has to experience this collectively in different ways. But, you know, we are experiencing this all at the same time. And I am being challenged to address additional things beyond the topics that I was prepared to talk about from the podcast when it was first born. And, you know, it's just because the landscape of the world continues to change. And I realized how uncomfortable I was about expressing a, a extension past me or we to an all concept. You know, I, I realized that I was uncomfortable because I didn't know those other spaces. And not only that, but if I was in any way particip a participant or if I experienced anything from the other sides, because I haven't spoken about it well enough, I didn't feel prepared to be well-versed enough to speak on it. So, you know, even talking about race, like, of course, I'm an ethnic woman, I could talk about it, but I wasn't prepared to talk about it in the same comfort as me talking about gender. And then it made me realize that there's like so many different spaces of every social cause that's isolated in only what they know and feel comfortable about talking about. But then that further validates the concept of our inability to make change if we keep holding back all of our true experiences. So... I don't know. I'm just curious on what your thoughts are on that, um, because I I just realized, you know, that that I was struggling to to talk about things that are really important because I didn't think that my experiences were valid enough to be expressed to begin with. And I guess we're going full circle back into everyone kind of flying off my 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 show because maybe they think that whatever they have to say also isn't good enough. Yeah, 100 percent. And, you know, there's there's some things under there. You know, and everyone has a different experience, you know, whether it be, you know, trauma, big T, little t trauma, whether it be wounding, whether it be conditioning, whether it be from society, whether it be from culture, whether it be from family systems, you know, we were all shaped in a, in a unique and individual way. And I can't speak for everyone or one or anyone in particular, but I think it's important to note that, you know, we all have value to share. We all have a voice. We all have a different perspective. And the reality is that everything is right. There's so much emphasis and so much judgment placed upon what is right or what is wrong. But the reality is that everybody is right because everybody is speaking from a place of their own experience and their truth. And all truths are, are varying. All truths are expansive. All truths have meaning. And I think it's once we come to a place where we understand that our truth is nobody else's, but our own alone, and we do have a voice that we can use to express, and then accepting the fact that it's not going to be received or accepted by anyone or everyone, knowing that whatever we speak may just expose certain layers of truth to another person's narrative, and knowing that by expressing ourselves, by speaking our truth, there's at least one person out there who will at least will, will receive a layer of that. And that's really what the human experience is about is relativity. Can I relate to this other person? Can I relate to the people around me? Can I relate to nature and in the environment, even the things that we consider to be inanimate, you know, it's, it's developing that relationship, not only with the people outside of us, but the parts within us. And coming to that place of acceptance and honoring our experience and our truth, knowing that our truth may not be suitable for the people around us. And to be able to live authentically and breathe and step into it fully allows us and gives us permission to develop a level of intimacy within us. And, you know, my good friend Princeton broke this down and I still use it to this day almost every single day. But intimacy is simply into me, I see. In the things in which we learn to love in ourselves, we learn to love in another. And in the ways we learn to judge ourselves, we also judge into other people, which is kind of thrown out there loosely, but a lot of people will say it's a projection. But there's no such thing as a projection, in my opinion. 
there's no such thing as a projection. <laughs> and I repeat that because it's, it's triggering to some. But if we can come to a place of knowing that we're simply just expressing our truth from our present experience in relation to the identity in which we once or last associated with, it brings a level of, of understanding and compassion to where we don't judge that part of ourselves. The aligned aspects of ourselves are honoring the misaligned aspects of ourselves through the process. And by doing so, we do that for others. We do that for the collective. And then we come into that place of observation rather than judgment. I love that. And I, th- I think it's really cool that you put the focus on expressing your truth and not, you know, that ego driven space of projection. But we do still live in this material world. And I remember talking to you earlier and you would say that, you know, visually you look like any typical type A alpha male, right? And you do sports and you're active. And if you were going to go to any gym, like most men would do is size each other up, right? And um, if you're doing your own thing, you're, you have your own version of yourself that you can express freely. How do you deal with people that, that will judge you based on that? And what would you like to see differently? And how do you, how do you foresee how people might interact in the future? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. And, you know, to start that off, you know, when I do walk into a room, people see me and they see, you know, the six foot, 200 pound handsome guy, he's got a beard, he's got a faux hawk tattoos. And I told you on our, on our earlier call that people will tell me all the time, well, wow, I didn't expect you to like, be like the way you are. I didn't expect you to be emotional. I didn't expect you to be intelligent. You just look like some military douchebag. And, you know, that hurt, you know, having to hear that. But after sitting with that and reflecting on it and asking and inquiring to myself, how can I learn to work with this rather than against it? I've simply come to the place to accept that no matter where I go, people are going to judge me. And that's okay. Because I don't judge myself. And when I don't judge myself, that doesn't inhibit or prohibit me from being my fullest authentic self. It doesn't prohibit or inhibit my way to express myself. It doesn't prohibit or inhibit the way I think or choose to act because I'm simply being myself, you know, and what I'd like to see is for people to accept themselves for all that they are, to know that their pain does not, does not give them this this mask that they have to wear, that their diagnosis does not determine their identity, that their mess has a message and their pain serves a purpose. And to know that with each individual step, whether people accept us or not, if we can accept ourselves fully with love and compassion, with honor, grace, sincerity, humility, then we can deepen our level of connection to not only ourselves, but to source, to the universe, to everyone around us. And if we can root ourselves in our truth rather than other people's truth, if we can root ourselves in our truth rather than society's truth, then we're living in embodiment. We're living in alignment. And as long as we are living in alignment and embodiment, we are attracting other things in our life that are in unified consciousness, that are in alignment, that are in embodiment with themselves as well. And I think that's how we start to attract people who are like us. That's how we start acquiring our tribe. That's how we start connecting deeper with other people. And as we can connect and deepen our trust and faith and connection to other people, we deepen that within ourselves. And that comes and circles back to our original point of being able to honor all parts of us and accept all parts of us. Because when we do so, we remove that veil, we remove that mask, we remove that judgment and that shame that actually prohibits or inhibits other people from seeing us, which kind of comes back to the last conversation we had about men being afraid to be seen. You know, what does it look like when you're actually seen for who and all that you are? Who are you afraid of not being seen as? And what would happen if you were fully received when someone did see you? Yeah, I think that's really scary. I think um, I experienced my own version of that by my own fear of no one coming on the show. So I put on a mask. I tried to be supportive when I wasn't really. And when it would show through or just just real parts of me that I've been hiding, 
would show through, it would, it would change the dynamic of everything because I realized I didn't begin authentically. And, and of course that's going to change the entire conversation. And I think, I think it's even, it's really difficult to even understand or comprehend the concept of being fully seen. Cause I don't think we even fully see ourselves or even try to look at finding or seeing ourselves in that way. So how would you begin to start for like one thing, seeing yourself, if that's the first step or the second step, um, having others see you and accept you and receive you in that way. Cause I, I was terrified for a, while, a long time. You know, I was thinking that other feminists would judge me. I was thinking no man's going to be on a show. I was thinking I don't have enough of a voice uh, or I'm giving too much of my voice. Like it was just always confusion of who am I if I'm not what other people think I am or if I'm not what I used to always be. And without that, without that pattern or that habit and behavior that you've been doing your whole life and suddenly doing that big switch, like how are you, which one are you? Are you the future that just started like two seconds ago or how much of your past is part of that and how much can you accept of that? And how much do you bring that forward? Because, you know, you, at the same time, you don't want to be the old version of you. No, that's, that's beautiful. And I think you teed it up quite nice, you know, and I'll, I'll keep this pretty short and simple actually, because it's, it's more so something that's a little bit more practical, you know? And I think this comes to a place where, I remember not even being able to look at myself in the mirror without judgment when I was bodybuilding, you know, I'd look in the mirror and I would, I would instantly find all the things I wanted to fix in myself. I would find all the things in which I thought weren't right or weren't perfect. And I would identify all of my imperfections. And that came from a place of judgment and shame once again. And, you know, one thing that has helped me out fully is when I catch myself having those thoughts, cause I still do is to look myself in the eyes and just let myself know that I got you. It doesn't matter who sees me a certain way. It doesn't matter what I'm, what I'm dressed like. It doesn't matter if my abs are showing. What really matters is that even in those moments where I feel insecure, I still have myself, you know, and I think that consistent practice does pay off. And once we start doing that for the things in which we see about ourselves, even when a mirror is not available, you know, we can start internalizing it and we can start applying that practice into, in, in, into ourselves, into our hearts. I think that's where it truly starts to show and it starts to exude out of us to where other people see that as well. And it's interesting because it is the undercurrent, if that makes sense. I mean, I'm just going to challenge you on this, but, um, you know how you were saying that it, it really hurt when people judged you and, you know, just assumed certain qualities about you. If the argument, I don't know if you ever received this argument, is that, you know, there's like a hot masculine man privilege card that you have that you can just kind of skirt by with everything because you already fit the bill of the expectation of what an ideal man sh should look like or act like or be like, that if you act outside of it, it doesn't really matter because you've already achieved it. So what would you say against that? Because I think I get a lot of that where it's kind of like, oh, well, you have pretty privilege or you have this or that or whatever privilege because you fit the bill of what masculine or feminine attributes should be based on what society's expectations are. Gives you technically an advantage or some some form of privilege. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was muted. But as you were asking this, I was laughing because I was literally just having this conversation the other day where it's like, I'll walk into somewhere and I'll notice, you know, I observe a lot when I walk into somewhere and it's crazy that you say that because it's almost anywhere I've ever walked into, I have been treated better. And that even hurts because I'm like, why, why is this person over here not being treated as well? Why, why are they not being seen as I'm being seen? And it's interesting once that happens, because when I start having these conversations, when I start bringing things to light, you know, when it, when I don't fit the standard bill, when I may look a certain way or what, but when I open my mouth, it's almost as though people immediately reject it because what they want to see is the exterior. What they want to see is the material. They want to see the body. They want to see the meats, but they're not at the soul. Once the soul comes out and expresses itself, you know, it's almost like this, wow, 
this just shattered my expectations. Therefore, it's not important, which is interesting to most who are in alignment with, with what I am. They, they fully see and receive that. But for those who don't want to see that side, you know, because it does expose and challenge the truth of their, their self, themselves, right? It's almost like as they reject that in that moment, they actually reject that side of themselves as well. You know, and I think that's what it comes down to. You know, it's that comes back and circles back around to the whole, how do we love ourselves? How do we accept ourselves? How do we honor ourselves? And the into me I see takes effect. We see it firsthand there is that, you know, those sides, those deeper emotional sides in which they're judging themselves, therefore get projected onto <laughs> what I should be based on their own experience. Right. So I think it, it kind of circles back around to that. If I were to say anything. Yeah, for sure. It's it's crazy how how much we imprint ourselves on others out of our own fears or judgments of ourselves, actually, rather than them, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, so because because our imprints modify our blueprints, right? Mm-hmm. When we came into this life, when we came into this body, our soul was given a blueprint with specific lessons to learn. So as these experiences started to forge who we are and started imprinting on our personality, it starts to challenge the truth at hand. But that's the lesson in itself is where is truth challenged? Because today's truth is always tomorrow's fable because we are expansive. We are evolving every single moment, every single day. But as we cling on to that former identity in which we once knew, the truth in question becomes a dispute from the inner and the outer world. And that's where... Mm again, the shame and the judgment lies, but learning to accept that as a lesson rather than a situation that was done to us rather than for us gives us this level of willingness and neutrality to where we can just surrender to what is and who we are and everyone around us is, right? Yeah. And I just, I'm curious to see what kind of world that would be, you know, because we live in such a, a focused space with hard lines, you know? and boxes. And, and every time I hear someone like you speak, you know, it's kind of like, you're from a different universe. You know what I mean? And it's like, how do you, how do you take that and like apply that to the physical world? And, you know, and how, how much does that make a dent? So how, I, I guess you said like this, this just happened to you, you know, like a, a year or so ago where you really opened up. How has that experience been for you so far? What would you say has been like the most surprising thing that's happened to you personally on this journey? Um, that you would like to share with us today? Yeah. And, you know, I've been, I've been on this journey now since, you know, 2017 after I cut and sliced my hand open and it's been a process, you know, more of the masculine work and the men's work I've been in for about a year now, but this journey entirely, it's been, it's been challenging and interesting. And, you know, to kind of, kind of wrap that up, it's been, powerful more than anything and coming into a space now where I can start seeing it right it's just it's just developing a hyper awareness is really all it is and it and it may seem very theoretical and philosophical but you know in which the ways we apply it are simply based on the things we know right to expand and learn the things in which we don't know so as long as we can hold on to that ever evolving desire to learn then you know the universe will present to us what we can handle in the moment you know god universe source never delivers anything we can't handle so just to receive everything with an open open mind and an open heart allows us to see the things in which we couldn't see before mm-hmm. and what we do what we see and and how we interact with that and how we receive it it's completely up to us on how consistently or how frequently we can tap into that and how we can play with that and how we apply that is not going to look the same from one person to another. The way you receive a message and the way I receive a message are two completely different parallels to the universe. We'll call it right. Cause everything's parallel in, in nature, mm-hmm. you know, but the, but the journey, the route, the line is going to look, look differently, slightly. It's going to have a level of contrast and, to work with contrast 
rather than the black and white, right? We can work with the contrast, the gray in between. It gives us more availability and space for freedom. I love that idea of contrast rather than color and, and that concept. You mentioned that you do a lot of men's work now. What's, what is that like for, for men that are contemplating joining a men's group? What was that process like for you to find the right people, to find the right group to join, to participate? You know, how, how long was that for you to, to experience? And is it, is it very different if it's, if it's all men? Do you anticipate there being a co-ed concept in the future? Or do you, how do you see all of that kind of mixing? Yeah, hundred percent. And, you know, to, to answer that, I was more so questioning where are the other men like me? You know, I wasn't actively seeking for these men's groups. They kind of found me. They fell into my lap when I started asking the question, when I started inquiring and when I started becoming interested in developing and furthering my relationship with men, seeing and observing and how absent it was in my life when I started going into this work. So, you know, they kind of just started falling in my lap. And as I started leaning into it, more opportunities opened for me, you know, and then when I came into these groups and I exposed who I was and what I did and what I had to offer and provide and, and how I could be of service to the collective, then the opportunities open for me to serve. And that's where I've been able to step into more facilitator roles. And even though I'm a facilitator, you know, in these roles, I am 100% just as much as a participator, you know, and there's a, there's a saying in men's work that there's no I in I in men's work because it is a collective effort. And to be seen by other men and, and to be in an environment and a space where men are supporting men is truly powerful. And I think that this work being done on the men's side of thing is going to open gateways for it to be in the co-ed spaces. Like for instance, I have a call on Wednesday on, you know, how can I being a men's facilitator work with this woman who's a woman's facilitator and how can we bring our worlds together? And that's where it is. It's, it's collaboration over competition. You know, and that's really what the men's work taught me is that it's a collaborative effort. And as I started opening my heart to collaborate with other men, more women saw that and were open to collaborating with me. And I think that's in the, the direction in which we're heading. And I think it's progressing over time. It's not going to be overnight, but as more men step and lean into this work, and as they start inquiring where this work is, like I said before, the universe will deliver and the universe only delivers what we can handle in the moment. But if we start seeking, from an energetic place rather than from a logical place, right? Not with our mind, but with our heart. When we open our heart to have it delivered to us, it'll just happen, you know? And there's a lot of different groups and organizations out there. I mentioned two before that I work with. I formerly worked with the Modern Renaissance Man, which is my gateway into men's work. And now I'm more formally, formally associated to Sacred Sons and a facilitator for their work as well. So those are just a couple of groups to name a few. And there's so many other men, you know, Rising Man, um, the Rising Man community, the Samurai Brotherhood. There's there's a lot of other groups out there. You know, local circles are amazing, but right now with COVID and all this other stuff going on, a lot of them are virtual. But you know, even with Sacred Sons, we're doing a, a live event at the end of April called Convergence, which is the largest men's gathering of the year, where we have about 150 men last year in the desert that collectively come together to heal and to tap into different spaces and to open our hearts to ourselves and, and also each other. You know, I think it's really interesting that you said you were looking for a better relationship with men, you know, and it's funny because you're already a man, you know, and, and thinking like, Hey, how come I've never really connected with men? I've always been competing with them. I've always been challenged to prove myself in front of them. And I kind of felt the exact same way. And that's why I started the podcast. And like you said, like, it just, it just flowed. Like it was really easy to get access to them. And I think I'm now in that position where I'm trying to figure out my relationship with myself after seeing the, the dynamic among my relationships with men, with men now and seeing how much that's opening a new relationship with myself and how I view myself. So what's one thing that you learned about yourself that surprised you in our conversation today? Mm, that's a beautiful cover. That's a beautiful question. Mm -hmm. One thing that I learned from our conversation today, I would say that what I learned about myself is that I have also been lacking on 
my relationship with the feminine. And I appreciate this. And I appreciate having these conversations with women. I've been having so many conversations focused around men. Mm. And not that I don't talk to women, but about this work. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a reminder. I would say what I learned about myself is I tend to, again, subconsciously work in this pendulum swing dynamic where I'm either hard left or hard right. And I'm learning that right now in this moment and where I'm at, it's time for some recalibration to start seeing how I can start incorporating and merging more women into my life to find a sense of balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's really funny. I was, I was in the same vein. Like I was doing so many men's focused things and I was trying to find as many resources for men's groups and men's work that I forgot a little bit about the the true intention of the show, which is really to get male allies to support women's movements. But without the women's movements that I was supporting, you know, what, what am I doing with these allies? So it's kind of funny that it's like, you'll, you'll get there, but then it stops short, you know, with the, with the full picture that you're trying to paint. Um, I want to end with one last question to you. Out of everything that we spoke about today, are there any topics that you would like to invite another man on the show to elaborate on further? Hmm. I would say, based on everything you talked about, you know, one thing that I probably say that stuck out is how you had mentioned the cultural indifference. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's going to be a big one, especially now, especially after, you know, the more recent events that happened with the Asian Americans. But I think, you know, an invitation to, to a man would be opening the conversation of, of the cultural indifferences and how that's influenced masculinity and how that's also influenced the view of the world. Mm. Yeah. Well, I like that. I welcome that challenge to, to the next one that comes on. Beautiful. I can't wait to hear it. (laughs) Okay, sweet. Thank you so much for this chat. It's been, it was really powerful. I loved it. Isn't it crazy how much we haven't practiced holding space for others and also to note how much courage it takes to try and try again to communicate your feelings. I really appreciated this conversation and I do hope that this opens up your own ideas of what you believe is the true way to be authentic to yourself and express yourself in a way that feels good to you. Make sure to subscribe and if you'd like to be on the show or know of someone with a unique perspective, slide into my DMs at Miss Amanda Chen on Instagram and I'll see you next Wednesday with more episodes of The 100 Masked Men.